Well, welcome into the State News Sports Roundtable. I guess maybe just a Michigan State football podcast. Uh, Joe Danger and Eli McEwen here. Um, you know, coming at you. This is recorded, so hope you know we're gonna put some predictions in here for the national championship game on Monday afternoon, which could get moved. I don't think it will though. I'm hearing that it's probably not gonna get moved. They committed to not moving it. But Joe Danger and Eli McEwen from the State News football beat writers the football season's over Eli Michigan State finishes two and five it's January now Christmas New Year's happened how was your how was both how was both did you have a good Christmas it was great got to uh just get home and finally decompress after this you know I you know just school wise I don't know what it was something was just kicking me down CSE especially man I just felt good to just put my feet up for a couple weeks and just relax you know it's just it felt great not gonna lie Joe how about yourself it was good it was good Christmas was super nice I met my nephew for the first time um Ian he's just a year old so great yeah a big family guy over here of course um I'm back in East Lansing now didn't stay home for too long um you know but I have enjoyed my break it's really nice to have a break it's really nice to just you know be able to decompress after a really busy season with high school football MSU football and classes too. It's just a lot. Classes got pushed back too to January 19th, I think is the official start date. So nice having an extra week, you know, just going to be playing a lot of 2K, you know, just hanging out. So it's good. Um, New Year's was good too. New Year's is always a good time. Yeah. I've been firing up the, uh, since I'm back home with bad Wi-Fi, the Xbox ones, I got really an option. I can't drop in Warzone or anything, but it's been NCAA football 14 right now. A classic, a classic, it's classic just, sports video game. It's just incredible. I started out as a head coach over at, uh, oh, where was I even at? I don't even remember now. Oh, it was New Mexico. Now I'm the head coach of Minnesota. We're, we're rolling right now. It's, it's hey, just been, row the been boat, fun. row the boat. Um, yeah, NCAA football is a criminally underrated sports video game. And Well, actually, I don't know if it's underrated. I don't know if you consider that because it's worth like $130 on eBay. I've been trying to snag a copy for three years. So... But hey, back to real college football. Like we said, this is a college football podcast, the State News Sports Roundtable. Um, so Michigan State finishing this. Eli today and I are going to break down the season and kind of what's next for MSU football for those listening. So Michigan State finishes two and five on the year. Um, Big Ten Championship week comes around. They were matched up with Maryland for a second time and the game gets postponed. Well, canceled, I should say, not postponed. Um, it was canceled the first time, canceled the second time due to COVID issues within the Maryland Terrapins football program. You guys know the deal. Um, I mean, that's the world we live in now. That's what the kind of things happen. And, and that's been tough for a lot of programs, I think. So it was busy. So Michigan State finished their season with a 39-24 loss to Penn State, in which Peyton Thorne plays really well, Eli. Um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. So Eli, just what in that last game did Michigan State show you really in the second quarter, I think the most, but what did they show you that you think can kind of, I guess, just take away, I guess, as the season comes to an end? I think they showed flashes in that game of what they could be if they can just develop a consistency. And I think that consistency was hard to find in a season where they don't really get any actual kind of practice going until what was it, September like August, September, where they really started, I mean, a little bit in August, and I think in September is when they finally got back on, when they brought back the season second time. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, they start to show consistency, and then it was going into the second half, it was like, okay, can they put together two halves of football here against a Penn State team that played a lot better down the stretch of the end of the season, and that 
ended up falling apart in the second half. The, the Penn State defense finally put together a good half of football, which they hadn't done in a long time. The offense started to click, too. I mean, that Penn State offense has been horrific all year long. They put it together. Um, I thought Peyton Thorne had a very good first half. I thought in the second half, he, the Penn State really got a lot of pressure, able to force him to make some, you know, not he didn't get a lot of time to make good decisions, a lot of time to find his receivers. Um, things go the way they go, but I thought that, you know, considering everything, the way the season had went, I, you know, it was a good showing, but, you know, you want to see going forward to year two, and we'll talk about this here soon, but, you know, you want to see that consistency from quarter to quarter, half to half, where, you know, you get that consistent production out of your offense throughout an entirety of a game, not just one quarter or one half. Yeah, in for in Thorne was 22 of 39 passing for 325 and three touchdowns. Um, had a couple really nice throws. I believe he had two to Jalen Naylor or one, maybe one to Jaden Reed. And the Trayvon Morgan throw, I thought, was the best of the game, best he made, maybe that entire game. Um, he threw a pass up the center of the field to Trayvon Morgan, 6-7, right, you know, right into his hands and really double coverage. Um, in that game, and Thorne really proved in that game, I thought, that he could be a guy going forward. The arm talent, though, I think is still a question. Is he able to push the ball downfield like this offense might ask of him? You know, I mean, because Mel Tucker's offense really has succeeded with play action this year with the running game, setting up the big pass plays. That's how they beat Michigan. And, I mean, yes, Penn State, like you said, did get better as the year went on. But I really thought that that offense showed so much in the second quarter. I thought there was a lot to build from. And I think the offensive line play, I know I said at the beginning of the year, it'll be better this year. It'll be, I mean, I've been saying that for two years. I think truly next year, you got a good old line coach who recruited the size necessary to, you know, block for the run and block for the pass in the Big Ten level. I think that the O-line will be, you know, a lot better next season. So, um, you know, I thought the Penn State game showed a lot about what this team can do, especially on offense. Not really defense. The defense was let down in a lot of ways. I mean, giving up almost nearly 30, 40 points, just shy of that. Um, majority of those coming in the second half. I thought that was disappointing from a uh, standpoint, from a team standpoint, you know. And I think that Michigan State's going to have to really take a hard look defensively to see, you know, next year if the four-two-five is still getting lit up, can that really work in the Big Ten? Because that's, that's a question. Can that work in the Big Ten in a conference that predominantly is dominated by teams who are physical up front and run the football? So, um, you know, I, I think it should be interesting. You know, I think that Mel Tucker's recruiting and all that stuff will bode well going forward, but it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. So then Michigan State goes to the Maryland game, gets canceled a second time in the midst of finals week for us as students and the midst of National Signing Week. So quite the busy week is that kind of, you know, to feed into the next thing. National Signing Week is really the next thing that kind of happened after that. That was, a you know, that provided anything of sort of news for the program going forward. Michigan State gets all-team, all first-team Sun Belt tackle, Jared Horst, from Arkansas State, who was a JUCO guy before being at Arc State. Then Anthony Russo, who played started 31 games at Temple, um, threw for more than 6,000 yards. And then Harold Joyner, a, who was one of the top running backs in the 2018 class, I believe, and was a member of the Auburn football team. And then they also flip a, a four-star recruit who was committed to USC to come to Michigan State. And his brother's in the transfer portal as a linebacker, who was a five-star. So some big news. I guess, you know, I think the mo maybe the most important one of all of that, and to mention, obviously, we are, we're going to touch on this later, but Rocky Lombardi transfers from the football program, opens up some things for Thorne. 
uh, Hamp Faye is coming in, and then also Anthony Russo in the mix. I guess, you know, Eli, Anthony Russo from Temple, I think is probably the most important guy they got in the offseason. Um, I guess just what do you have, I mean, what do you think about that? I, I think personally, I think the thing that Mel Tucker showed in the transfer portal was the main thing that I, I took from it were what he's done in recruiting and things like that. He wants to get better at running the football. I, I thought that was the main thing I took from it. You, he brings in Harold Joyner, who was a top five running back prospect in his class. Um, not only does he bring him in, he brings in the Wake Forest transfer, Kenneth Walker, just in the last couple of days. Who scored um, 13 touchdowns last season in the ACC. Yep, and he had multiple three-touchdown games, 100-yard games. He had a very good season for Wake Forest. Um, you know, towards the end of the year, I'm not 100% sure if it was injury-related. I couldn't find too much on that. I'm not sure if it was injury-related or maybe the, the coaching staff went a different direction. I'm not 100% sure what happened there. But um, – and then he brings in people on the offensive line. He also has Davian Prim, who's coming in as a recruit as well, another one who's going to go into that running back room with Jordan Simmons. Connor Hayward's coming back. Elijah Collins is – looks like he's coming back we still have no idea what was going on with elijah collins no i don't think anybody knows you know but um he proved that he what he wants to do is run the football he talked about it time and time and time and time again this team needs to be able to run the football we want to be physical we want to be able to do that he's added he's got probably one of the deepest running back rooms that there's ever been at michigan state that i can remember i can't think of a room that had that much talent that much you know Elijah Collins was the leading returning rusher a year ago as a weird year. I don't know. We don't know if it was injury related or whether it was, you know, Tucker said it was more about the depth chart and the way he felt the confidence was, but we don't really, Mel Tucker's kind of had his things on the injuries and things like that on the down low this year, which fair enough. But um, you know, it's, he has a loaded room there. And then Anthony Russo, um, the guy who brings experience to that room with Rocky Lombardi gone starts 30 plus games at temple. Um, I, it's going to be interesting to see how Tucker handles that quarterback position a year from now because Peyton Thorne showed so much, um, you know, poise a year um, against Penn State, which, I mean, I was about to say a year ago. It feels like a year ago since that game. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that because he, he's shown that, like, he's going to play whoever he thinks is going to give them the best chance to win. It doesn't matter who it is. He's going to play who he wants to play. I mean, you know, we saw Angelo Gross step into that nickel spot as a freshman and, you know, and move around the field, play a lot of time in that back, you know, the back, you know, as a freshman. Um, you saw with Jordan Simmons. We've seen him play whoever he thinks is going to give him the best chance to win. He doesn't care about the development. You know, he does care about development, but he doesn't care about, well, I'm going to get this guy on the field and play him a bunch, even if that means I might lose a few possessions because he's on the field because I want to develop him. He didn't care about that. He wanted to play who he wanted to play. So, Whoever he puts on the field next fall is whoever he thinks he's going to get the best chance to win, not necessarily the guy he thinks is the future guy. That's what I think I took from that. Yeah, and, and I thought that that was a storyline the entire season. You know, I do agree that, yes, he did in the recruiting and in the transfer portal put an emphasis on size at the offensive line positions, um, specifically the tackle spots, which is where they probably struggled the most, in my opinion, along the O-line. I mean, I think they do have some – I do think that Samak and Duplain and – they do have some guys in the interior line. I, I fully do believe that. But those tackle spots have been an issue really in the last, the last three years. Right. So if you can solidify the tackle spots, which I think is possible with the introduction of Jared Horse, who was a starter at Arkansas State and a very good one, if he stays healthy, which he struggled with injuries at Arkansas State, I think running the ball can become an improved thing. 
And that's an interesting point with Elijah Collins. That was a weird, I just dichotomy the entire year of what the Elijah Collins conversation, what happened to Elijah Collins? You know, I never heard anything of that I would put any weight to, but maybe he was out of shape coming out of COVID with the pandemic and everything. You know, there's a lot going on. Maybe he just didn't have the motivation. You know, maybe he was out of shape. Maybe he was hurt and they didn't let on and he just didn't want to get surgery and just wanted to rehab it. You know, that could have been a thing. Um, I think it's an interesting thing to see where Elijah Collins goes from here because he was almost in a thousand yard rusher last season. Mm -hmm. um, the previous year, Mark D'Antonio's last season. And that to me is incredible that a guy like that could fall so quickly. But also, I mean, new coaching staffs, things do change the way you call plays, fit people's skill sets better and whatnot. Um, so I think the introductions of Jared, uh, I think Jordan Simmons will take a leap. He jumped when he had the football um, in his hands. Harold Joyner will bring, you know, size, talent to the position. He never really panned out at Auburn. That's a really competitive roster, though. I think his talent may fit this roster better because he'll get more snaps right away. And then Kenneth Walker. I mean, you could end Cart Connor Hayward. Like, you've got an extremely deep running back room, like you mentioned. And that could really, really be the strong suit of this team where they struggled the most this year could really be a strong suit next year. If the O line gets better um, and you just stop turning over the football, because when you can't depend on the pass plays as much, it just doesn't set up things for the run as well. Teams just stack the box. Um, so I, I think that it, that'll be interesting, you know, um, but as we noted, Anthony Russo, who I did think was the most important part of all of this, you got a guy who threw for 400 yards multiple times, you know, I get Brian Lewerke did that in college too, but this guy is the only person in Temple history to do it. And he threw for 400 yards three times, almost threw a four to third time his last year before getting hurt. He threw for 392 in one of his last games. Um, I think he's the key to this, like the people coming in. If he can be a guy, just a one-year guy, just get it done, not turn the football over. I think this football team can be drastically improved. So I'm excited to see what Russo brings to the table and how he kind of let, and that will allow Hamp Fay, who could be a guy out of Texas, a three-star recruit to kind of develop. Um, I think that that should be interesting. So, you know, yeah, a lot of, a lot of movement with this football team, especially that entire week. That was a crazy, crazy week of like, that was just a wild week in general with finals, but that was even crazier with all the football news that happened. So you got that. And then at the end of the week on Friday, Rocky Lombardi enters the transfer portal. So, you know, Eli, I want to ask you this. When you look at Rocky Lombardi, a guy who has been a part of this program for really the better part of three seasons, what do you think are people going to remember most about him? Because in a lot of ways, he was, had some extremely memorable moments. You know, I mean, his first start was that win against Purdue. I remember the shovel pass to Naylor um, was kind of what sealed the deal in that one. But just how, how do you think people are going to remember Lombardi, I guess, when everything's all said and done? Yeah, I mean, he... I think the number one thing that'll stick in, in people's minds is that Michigan game from this year. I mean, you're talking about a game after Michigan State turned the ball over seven times against Rutgers. Year one under Greg Schiano, part two, Rutgers. With a yeah, or, you know, like a roster that's years behind everyone else in the Big Ten outside of, you know, maybe, you know, I don't think there's a team who had like a more depleted roster than them. You know, and they caught that seven turnovers. And it seemed like the world was on fire for a week. Everyone was panicking. 
And then all of a sudden, here comes Rocky Lombardi. He throws for 323 yards. Ricky White almost goes for 200 yards um, in the air, catching. like in, And they win 27-24 in Ann Arbor after turning the ball seven times against the Rutgers. I, I think that game, you know, you go back two years ago to Purdue where he gets that win. It was like all of a sudden, like, is Rocky Lombardi the next guy? Like, there was questions about, like, could he be the next person? And then I thought he got kind of an unfair shake at the end of the year. He gets thrown into a snow game in Nebraska that season. And they threw, I think he threw the ball like 30 plus times in the snow, in the blazing wind where kickers were getting their ball, the ball blown away from the, the thing. And it was like, why are they throwing the football? And they ended up losing that game. Yeah, and I remember that game. It was a really weird game plan, a really weird game in Nebraska. You know, like that was a weird one. And then, you know, he sits for a year. He was a. Um, I believe he was doing protection in the punt unit last year, if I remember correctly. I mean, he was doing some protection there. And, you know, against Michigan, he had the game of his life. And it was all of a sudden like, okay, Rocky Lombardi might be the guy for the season. Like, we thought that maybe he had locked up that job after the game. And obviously, we know how the season pans out. I think that Michigan game, that win, it meant a lot for Mel Tucker and his program for recruiting. It meant a lot for that team he made an impact here at Michigan State whether you know whether he transferred or not I wish him the best of luck in Northern Illinois you want to talk about a guy who's a class act you know great interview great everything um Rocky Lombardi was one of them um I think in Northern Illinois he could be a guy in the MAC. you know he's got some talent I think he could be a good thing for Northern Illinois in that program it'd be fun to see him in the MAC. I can't wait to turn on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night and see Rocky Lombardi throwing for Northern Illinois. Very excited to see something like that, some action. But, you know, again, I think that Michigan game, that's got to be the number one thing I think will stick with people. Yeah, and and Lombardi, I I think when everybody thinks of him, yes, they will bring up that very game. They are going to bring up – and I believe he started the Northwestern game too. I could be wrong. Um, He played that whole game. Yeah, yeah, and I think he played pretty well in that game. Um, I'm gonna pull up, pulling up his stats here. He had about 160. Talk. I'm looking right now. He had 167 yards, and that game was more about Connor Hayward and then Lombardi's ability on the ground to run the football in that one more than yes. his, his arm in that one. He ran the ball and cut him out and picked up crucial first downs down the stretch. Then ended up being the game in that one again. I mean, that game alone too was one of the weirdest games I've ever watched all season because that was a team in Northwestern all year long that prided itself on stopping the run. They loaded the box and dared teams to throw it on their secondary. They said, we're going to load the box. You're not going to run the ball on us. And Michigan State, who only had two players who had rushing touchdowns this season, and those two players were Tyler Hunt and Peyton Thorne. They did not have a single running back get a running touchdown this season. They ran for, I think, almost 200 yards in that game. Connor Hayward had the best game of his career against a Northwestern team that I think personally, I think the best linebacking core in the country and one of the best defensive lines in the country this season. It was the the weirdest game I think I've ever seen in my life, but that's another game I think too, that I don't know if people remember that one as much as Michigan, but that's a game too, where he came up big with some huge first downs with his legs. And that was a cotton. Matt Coughlin had three field goals in that game from, uh, I believe it was from 44, from 48 and from 22 yards. So that was a big day for him kicking. And then obviously the Kalen Gervin phone recovery as the clock ran out was kind of what made that 29-20 scores, 23-20 ahead of that. But yeah, I mean, and Lombardi made throws in that game that, you know, were key. I think he had like 
between passes and runs, I think he had 13 between the two go for first downs, like single, like one run and one pass ended up in a first down. Um, He had 13 plays that he made himself for first downs. And late in that game, especially, he came up big. Yeah, I think he's going to be remembered for, especially people in our generation, for a lot of really positive memories at the start of what is the new football era at Michigan State. You know, Mel Tucker, obviously, we're going to touch on to his kind of start and then how, what, where he can go from here. We're going to touch on that in a second. But yeah, I think Lombardi, who now, yeah, you said go to Northern Illinois, just that legacy, I think, is going to be really those two wins um, and mainly the Michigan win you know, because of also this just extremely weird year. So yeah, Rocky Lombardi, wish him the best, of course, you know, uh, other and other, other transfers, Trevon Morgan, who I thought could be a guy going forward is going to be leaving uh, Julian Barnett, who was a four-star recruit out of Belleville corner slash wide receiver, kind of an athlete. Um, he's transferring to Memphis along with Devonte Dobbs, who is also from Belleville high. A um, couple of other guys transferring. I'm going to just pull those names up. I think we've got, yeah, Jerron Morgan, Max Rosenthal, um, Jesler Botang, who's going to Akron. Marcel Lewis is going to Central. Um, Davion Williams and Christian Jackson are both doing that as well. Chris Jackson was kind of an interesting one. Uh, he just was no longer with the team at a certain point. Jack Ballmaster's transferring. So, yeah, a lot of guys are kind of leaving. And that tends to happen when coaching staffs change. You know, this isn't a new concept in this transfer portal world of college football that we see now. Um, that's not an uncommon occurrence. So I wasn't too surprised by that. But, you know, kind of to move on from there, you look at the guys who are leaving that aren't transferring. NFL draft guys, you got Shakur Brown, who was one behind, I think, the lead for interceptions um, in the country, had a really good year, at least on the football side of just like attacking the football in the air. Got, I mean, it's Big Ten's tough. You got Justin Fields, you got a bunch of quarterbacks, a bunch of wide receivers who are really good at their jobs. And so Shakur Brown had his work cut out for him in a new system. I think that can attribute to some of the mistakes that have been made. You know, he had some kind of, you know, concerning flags at times, you know, that were like, hey, can this guy really play at the next level? I don't know. I think he can. Really good guy, you know, very driven. Um, I think that he will get drafted, but it's interesting to see where he goes. Antoine Simmons, who was probably the best player on this football team all season, as uh, heading to the NFL draft, Naquan Jones. Uh, Drew Beasy's coming back, Ponishu's coming back. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the secondary kind of builds without Shakur Brown, without Chris Jackson, without Davion Williams. You know, Eli, who do you expect to kind of step in for these guys? And what do you expect for these guys going forward as they leave for the draft too? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you have Xavier Henderson, who's, that's his secondary now as a safety. Yep. I mean, he had, I thought, a very good year. Um, he was kind of a quiet guy, you know, like he quietly did a lot of very good things for them. That secondary, um, Angelo gross being another as a freshman, he stepped up big this year. He had some plays. I thought Julian Barnett would be one of those. He leaves for the transfer portal. And I, and just to mention too, I mean, I, I would agree with you in saying that these transfers, you know, a lot of people were getting concerned, especially, I think it was like four of the top five from like the to like Mark D'Antonio's final, like, or not his final, but his second to last recruiting class there that were now gone. Um, obviously there is concern there when you see talent like that leave, but it is kind of, you know, with COVID, with the pandemic, with the new transfer portal rules, with, you know, the new coaching staff, I don't think this is, this is cause for concern. Um, you know, I would have more concern if you saw maybe, people, you know, bigger, big time players maybe going somewhere else. But not that they weren't, but these are more guys who were developing on the roster that ended up leaving. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you look at that secondary. I mean, Xavier Henderson and Angelo Gross, they're going to be huge. Um, I'm trying to think whoever you else you even have, you know, who you would have exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was it, and I thought this the entire year was particularly thin at corner and at times even thinner at safety. You know, these recruits are going to have to like Darius Snow is going to have to start playing big time snaps for this team going forward. I would assume. You know, and other guys, Charles Brantley, Antone Booth, these guys who are coming in as a part of this 21 class, they probably are going to be expected to contribute pretty early on. You know, I think that they've got the right coaches in place to make that happen, but there's going to be guys asked to do things that they may not be comfortable with right right away. And and that's part of growing and that's part of football. Um, So I think it should be interesting to see kind of where that goes from there. But, you know, just moving on, Mel Tucker, who, you know, in general, him coming to Michigan State had a lot of historical contexts anyway. You know, he's only one of 11 black head coaches in major Division I college football, FBS football, which is a feat in itself. Um, and which is, I mean, I, I, I thought was a cool part of his story coming here. He was a GA here under uh, Nick Saban, you know, yeah, went two and five, but his two wins were against AP ranked opponents at the time. There was only other two two other programs that did that the entire year, and they were in the SEC. And I'm not – you can guess who those were, and they were not Georgia, and I don't think the other one was uh, – I don't think the other one was A&M. So you can probably guess what those two teams were. And so that's an impressive thing, regardless of the COVID year and the rankings. He had an impressive season, I thought, in a lot of ways in a shortened year. You know, he didn't have the same amount of time that a lot of new head coaches did. He came in late. And so I thought it was the right hire. I still think it's the right hire. And I think this program can really take a jump with him. Um, but Eli, you know, what do you think? Do you think that Tucker going forward, I mean, how, how good can this program get as he has evidently made a lot of splashes in the transfer portal and recruiting, something we didn't see before? Yeah, I mean, I think you go back, you know, going back to February when he was hired, I thought that was a good hire by a lot of indicators, you know, I, I think in my mind still. And the number one thing I said back then, and I still think it was true now, is this year he needed to show a buy-in to the program from these players, from the coaching staff, whoever he brought in, um, and those different things. I thought that was the biggest thing. And you saw that. You saw the energy come back. You know, hearing guys, I think it was Antoine Simmons back in February, you know, he talked about when he met Mel Tucker for the first time, when he came into the room, they're sitting there in their meeting room. And Mel Tucker walks down the stairs and he comes to talk to him. He goes, he said, he's intense. And when he started talking, he put chills down my spine. I'm ready to go like back in February. And that was the moment. And you saw that throughout the season, because that was something after their playoff run, their playoff appearance where they got, you know, blown up by Alabama. But, you know, when you look back to those air, those games, you know, the Rose bowl, the cotton bowl, the playoff, the number one thing about that was there was a buy-in to the system, to the program and there was energy that energy after that season in the playoff was gone. You didn't see that want, that will, that aggression. You saw it again where it was like Antoine Simmons against Northwestern had a play where Northwestern driving down the field after Michigan State went three and out and Northwestern. And then Antoine Simmons on fourth down just dives over. You know, he's that they've had one win on the season. The season's, you know, means really nothing in terms of, you know, accomplishments or anything in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of everything from a team like Michigan State, who's, who has a one win on the year, he blows through the line and gets a huge sack. I mean, you saw the, the buy-in from these players. I thought that was the biggest thing. I think the biggest thing you have to look for in year two is, we talked about it a minute ago, we saw halves, we saw quarters where Michigan State had, a th- had things going. But now it's developing 
consistency from quarter to quarter, half to half, where they have a consistent identity. They do things consistently, and there's things that the team does well from a quarter to quarter, possession to possession basis. That's going to be the biggest thing for him in year two. But I think you have to you have to consider this year, considering everything, getting a win over your rival Michigan, which really helps your program recruiting, mentality, energy, getting a win over a good Northwestern team at home. Those were huge wins for the program. He did things that brought excitement. I thought his social media movement was something that has been um, incredible for this team. I think that's something that's been very fun to watch in a COVID thing. Um, I think you have to consider this year a success. And in year two, you need to find the consistency and develop an identity, especially on the offensive side where you have an identity and you have certain things that you do very well so you can be consistent from a game-to-game basis. Yeah, I think that that's an important note of this. You know, it's consistency was really what we saw as the biggest struggle, not just at Michigan State, but I thought it was common across most of college football. You know, programs that were new, like, I mean, Michigan was just a strain, one of the strangest seasons I've ever seen. Penn State and Michigan, to me, were confusing all year. I didn't, I know that they lost people to opt outs and injuries and all those things, but it's, those were the two most interesting ones that were the consistency was in some ways just almost entirely non-existent. And so for me, you know, I, I think that's a good point, Eli. I think that Mel Tucker needs to find that consistency and needs to make that an emphasis as to, okay, this is where we go. We've got the guys. Now it's time to have whatever we want to do consistently, put that out in the field. So I think that that's going to kind of be the big thing. I think the program can not necessarily with how college football is today and how the committee is run and how everything, I have my opinions about those things and how recruiting is, I am not sure that Michigan State can ever get back to the playoff under Mel Tucker. Um, I think that that 2015 year was not necessarily fluky, but a weird, you know, like they won some games that were really close. I mean, it's a razor thin margin in college football and I think that the, the gap is just too big between Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten for Michigan State to really ever shy, have a shot of ever getting back to the playoff. Um, at least right now, I just don't see it. Um, under the I think system, it's, it's not feasible under the current uh, system. Yes, uh, under the current four-team system, I don't think it's feasible for a lot of teams to ever make the playoff. No. Um, you know, we saw that this year with AM and we saw that with Notre Dame, and we saw that with Ohio State, and it being Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma and all these teams again and again and again, I don't think it's feasible at all. You know, I think that they will need to eventually and will eventually go to eight teams, and that's when Michigan State, yeah, that conversation changes, but because I'm not sure how if they can ever be considered just because of the nature of the program, they can ever be considered a top four team um, because those other teams just don't lose, and so yeah, that's kind of where, you know, I, that's where I kind of take away here, you know, um, Michigan State chose not to accept the bull bid, um, which I thought was fair and I thought was interesting. Just let the guys go home. It's been a long year. You're two and five. Why are you playing a bull game? I thought that was the right decision. Um, so I, that's kind of where I'm coming from on that. And that's what I think about that. You know, I wasn't surprised they denied a bull bid. I don't get why a two and five team would personally. So yeah, you know, but there were a lot of Big Ten teams as we kind of wrap up this talk about Michigan State, who went two and five, blah, blah, blah. You know, next year will be interesting to see. Um, you know, taking a look ahead to Michigan State's season next year, I think is going to be interesting because, I mean, they've got some good teams on that schedule. I believe they have a pretty big game. Yeah, they, I mean, they're scheduled to play Miami of Florida next year in Miami, who was a top 10 team this year. So that's really going to be a good barometer of how good this team can be, um, you know, and you look at that. And then in 2022, 
you know, looking at their non-conference, I mean, they've got, I think, Boise that year in Boise. Boise's been good the last couple of years. They get back to playing Western. They play Ohio State the fourth game of the year in 22. So Mel Tucker over the next couple of years is going to be able to really prove early on in the year how much, how, what kind of leaps this program can make. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see that. But so moving on, I guess from there, you know, you look at the postseason, there was some big 10 teams who did play in the postseason as we get away from the Michigan State talk, um, you know, and we're going to go to the national championship after this, but Indiana, who nearly beat Ohio State, who's playing in the playoff and beat Clemson, loses to Ole Miss. Eli, that to me, you know, you had Northwestern in the Verbo Citrus Bowl beating Auburn. Um, You had Indiana losing to Ole Miss. There was a couple other really good games. You and I, before we went on here, talked about uh, Georgia and Cincinnati was a great game. Some really good bowl games. But the two that stuck out to me the most really were Northwestern and Indiana. I guess, Eli, did you watch, did you catch the Indiana game? I don't remember if you said that. I did catch some of the Indiana game. And, you know, that was a game where Indiana was missing, I think, 15 players because of some COVID protocols and injuries and things like that. I don't think that was fully indicative of who Indiana was the season. especially. And, and Michael Penix goes and down Michael, with an knee injury. Yeah. And that's that was the biggest thing. I don't think that was indicative of their season. I thought Indiana was – I mean, I said it. I, I said it from day one this season when we were doing our scheduled podcast. It's like, this, is, in my opinion, is the second-best team in the Big Ten. I think with a healthy Michael Penix in a healthy roster, I still believe that to be true. I think they were just behind Ohio State, and I don't think there was anybody that was particularly close to them, especially as we saw like the very confusing collapse of Michigan and Penn State this year. Um, and Ole Miss, I mean, they, you know, under Lane Kiffin, he's he's been a good coach. I mean, you, you know, he's been obviously very controversial throughout his career, but He's been a very good football yeah. coach, you know, very controversial, but he's been a good, you know, he's done some good things at certain places. He's done some bad things at others, but, um, you know, he's, you know, that, that was a game where Indiana just, you know, could they had, they fought very hard considering everything that happened um, for them heading into that game. I think, like I said, I think it was 15 players they had out. Um, I don't remember specifically who was, but they had a, a solid game. I really thought Northwestern showed um, just, the amazing season that they had. I mean, if they don't lose to Michigan state um, in that weird game, like I said, that was, I think that was the most bizarre game I watched all year. Um, you know, if Northwestern doesn't lose that weird game. I mean, that's a team who, you know, and with getting into that big 10 title game would have had a shot at beating Ohio state to maybe get consideration for the playoff. Now, would they have put them in over an A&M? I don't think so. I think they would have put A&M over even a team that beat Ohio State. I think they would have. But, you know, that's a team that could have been in a position where they could have been playing for a playoff spot. They didn't lose that game. I thought they had an amazing season. Pat Fitzgerald's now getting some NFL rumors around him. I think Northwestern has to do whatever they can, just put a blank check in front of him. That man has done too much for this university to let him go to the NFL. You know, um, and I don't know what the program like Northwestern, if you can find a guy that will ever be, you know, what that guy was to them. He's going to be he's going to have a statue one day. The stadium's going to get named after him one day, you know, so. Uh, but it's it's fighting restatement. And also one of the best uh, joke like meme football, college football, like Reddit, whatever you want to say. The fighting Reese Davis thing was so funny all year. That was hilarious. And I mean, and you're right. Pat Fitzgerald did an incredible job. You know, I mean, two Big Ten championships, I think, in the last four years, uh, going play, not winning, but playing in the Big Ten championship two of the last three or four years is 
I mean, that in itself is impressive if you ask me. Uh, Northwestern, when they've had consistent, stable quarterback play, which they didn't have last year, they've been really good. That defense is good. And they had a freshman who was an All-American, a unanimous All-American, Brandon Joseph, a safety, who had maybe one of the best interceptions all year against Ohio State. That Northwestern team was good. And yeah. they proved it against an SEC opponent, winning by 16. And they proved that they should be have been you know, it's, I honestly thought maybe they could have gotten a better bowl game than what they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's already a really good bowl game, but they, man, they played their butts off all year. And I, I was happy, be, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, a guy who came from Michigan State to Northwestern. Yeah, I think they got to do whatever they keep him. I don't think he stays there long term. I do think he leaves the NFL because he doesn't recruit like crazy, but that's not needed in the NFL. You draft guys, you pay him. So at at Northwestern, frankly, with the academics and how yes, the academic requirements at a school like Northwestern will always hinder your recruiting, Um, just like they do at Duke in football, and just like they do at you know a school like yeah, you know, or Vanderbilt's a really good example of that too. You know, it's yes, I totally agree. Um, You know, and then obviously, I think the biggest of all the bowl games that was played by a Big Ten team the Ohio State versus Clemson playoff semifinal game. I think the Sugar Bowl, I don't know what bowl game it was. Yeah, Sugar Bowl. And holy cow, what a game. What a game that was. I don't know. I, I thought it was one of the best games of the year. Um, Fields getting clocked in the hip, probably breaking a rib, getting injected at the halftime with probably painkillers, and then throwing six touchdowns. I, I thought it was great. I mean, and that was a lot of people were not on Clemson's side this year because of Dabo's, you know, public stance on some things but you know i mean we don't have to talk about that but uh i think everybody knows what we're talking about but a lot of people weren't on their side i think a lot of people were tired of clemson and i mean when you tell a team that they're the number the 11 the best team in the country and then they go and beat you by double digits i think you got to probably maybe put uh put a sock in your mouth for a second for a second yeah i mean Dabo, Dabo, kind of you know the way he had been talking this year the way things have gone it finally came full circle i mean ohio state Frankly, in that game, you know, I think the biggest thing that surprised me wasn't necessarily even, you know, the offense because we it was the defense. It was the defense. I mean, that secondary this year had struggled in a lot of ways. I thought against Indiana in particular, they really struggled. And then all of a sudden against Clemson, who has, you know, a generational talent at quarterback, they shut them down. I mean, they, they had a great game on defense. I thought they played one of their best games all year. Um, I think Alabama is going to be a different animal. We're going to get into that to moment, get in that, into that in a moment. But Trey Sermon came up huge in his second, you know, back-to-back games. You know, he was huge. he ended up, you know, Northwestern at one point had a lead and was controlling a lot of that Big Ten title game. And then it was Trey Sermon who finally was just like, okay, I'm taking over and ran for over 200 yards. And then, you know, in another game, he came up big in that one again. Um, but obviously Justin Fields, I mean, the grit from him in that game to take a shot. I mean, there's, you know, since that Indiana game, there's been this thing about Justin Fields, like, oh, can he be an NFL quarterback? You know, can he be the guy? And it's just like, yes. Like, I don't know where these people were that were saying that he can't, but like, he just I, showed. I me. yes, I think that the big that that playoff game, it was to me, it was similar to when we saw Watson in the Alabama national championship mm-hmm. game. In some ways, just playing literally, like just saying, okay, you know, get on my back, we're going, and I, I'm taking you home. I mean, that's just pretty much what happened. I mean, when he took that shot in the side and then got up and threw that touchdown pass, that was like, I mean, that was an all-time college football moment, in my opinion, you know, just like 
you know, I mean, because he's grimacing as he walks out. He like the dude can't can't move really at first, you know. And then he comes out and has really an incredible second half and really helps Ohio State pull away. But yeah, Trey Sermon has really been the key for Ohio State the last couple of games. Um, you know, he they really just have said, okay, hey, we're gonna give you the rock now, and they stopped giving Master Teague the ball, and that's helped. Um, so yeah, Ohio State, good run. A lot of COVID issues since then. They were in New Orleans. And so, you know, for that, that game. And, um, yeah, they are they have a lot of COVID issues before this Clemson game. Apparently, they're going to be missing some guys. I don't know names, but I know that they're going to be missing a good amount of people. So, I think uh, Alabama and Ohio State, that, that, that playoff game can maybe get ugly. Um, I, I think you got Justin Fields on one end. He's going to score. Like, Ohio State will score the football. Mm-hmm. But it's just whether or not they can stop anybody. Um, you know, that Sean Wade, Devonta Smith matchup is going to be interesting to watch. So, yeah, so Eli, the playoff final, which is Monday, a couple of days from now, um, is Monday evening. And it's a rematch of, I think, the 2015 playoff national championship game. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, Ohio State, an underdog. That, I think that, Ohio, uh, that Alabama team was like a double-digit point favorite when Ohio State beat them. And this game, this time again, Ohio State's the underdog. So let's uh, maybe touch on some predictions. And also to know Alabama, Devonta Smith, one of the best college football seasons of all time, wins the Heisman. But Eli, predictions for the national championship game. Yeah, so first I did just see from Brett McMurphy, he just tweeted out that the game is a go. It is happening on Monday. So okay, good to know. Um, but I think that this Alabama offense, in my opinion, following up after what LSU did a year ago, is maybe the best offense I've ever watched. I, I and that's that was from that's saying coming from me who watched you know a lot of LSU last year and Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, what they were able to do offensively. This offense, you had three guys who were Heisman finalists, and I think Najee Harris is the mo- one of the most underrated players in college football right now. You know, I think him getting fifth in Heisman voting, I thought he should have been about second or third. Personally, I mean, the things he's able to do and that hurdle, that hurdle, I mean, like he's just a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal player. He's been doing this for two or three seasons now. Um, and this offense is just going to be, I think they're going to torch Ohio State. I mean, this offense is just, I don't think it matters who they go against. You have, it's crazy to think a year ago, they had DeMonte Smith, Jalen Waddell, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs all in that wide receiver core just a year ago. And what's so they're crazy. Doing it's still crazy. It's, it's that, might, that might be that might be the deepest outside of that, like DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams, uh, and um, Sammy Watkins, Clemson wide receiver room back in the day. That this that might have been like the deepest wide receiver room of all time. There was another um, one too. I think it was in 2014 when Bama had Derrick Henry, Kenyon Drake, and uh, they Alvin Kamara, and uh, there's another one that they had as well in that room that was absolutely. Kamara Kamara must have transferred then to Tennessee. Um, I believe he was there. I remember, if I remember correctly. TJ Yeldon. TJ Yeldon. Yeldon was the other one. Yes. Yes. He yes. He was like the Jaguars. Yep. Yeah. So, so did you? I you score prediction. What's your score prediction for the game? I think Bama's going to drop fifty-two on them. I and I think Ohio State will be about fifty-two to twenty-four is what I got. I think the okay. Bama, the Bama defense has got a question. You know, there's a question mark there, but I this offense is just ridiculous. I mean, they are just, I, I don't, I think they're the one of the best offenses of all time. When you look yeah. at what they've been able to do, when you have three Heisman candidates in there, 
I don't think you can say that they're not, you know, I think that they've been incredible. Um, I just, I don't see a situation which this team loses. And I think ultimately this is the sign of just what the pandemic was this year. It's just the most consistent team, whoever could be the most consistent is going to win. And what other team other than Alabama was going to do that? You know, Nick Saban and what this, that his program is there at Alabama. There wasn't going to, I think from, I had my questions about Mac Jones from day one. He put those to bed for me. I had a lot of questions about him. I think he's gotten assisted by good offensive line, maybe the best skill positions. I mean, skill positions that are frankly on par than on par and better than some NFL teams right now, personally, in my opinion. I mean, you look at what they have, but it is, it's just, I think it just is going to be poetic justice kind of the way that Alabama ends up getting this. I just think it makes the most sense. They've been the most consistent team all year long. And if you could be consistent in a pandemic with all the other outside factors, it's just when it's going to happen. Yeah. And that's the one thing Alabama has been the entire season. Um, You know, I think they've shown some weakness they did against Florida in the SEC championship, in my opinion. Um, But that offense, like you said, is, and if Jalen Waddle plays, things could get really, really ugly. But I'm going to go against you. I got to pick the other way. I'm going to go follow the Big Ten. Um, I'm going to say Ohio State wins 44 to 43. Um, that's my. It's a. We're going to have a, a walk off. It's going to be a, a touchdown scored to win it, um, and then an extra point kick to break the tie. So I, I think that's the way this game goes. It's going to be close. I think Ohio State has done too much this year and been through too much this year. Uh, after beating a team like Clemson, who rolled Notre Dame, um, I mean, Ohio State was ready, and I think they're going to come out ready again. Ryan Day has coached on this scale again. I get Nick Saban has too, but Ohio State, this team is like uber talented, and if the defense of Ohio State plays as good as they did against Clemson, I think that they've got a shot. If you can limit Devonta Smith, you'll be okay. You can stay in it, but you just can't let Alabama strike first if you're Ohio State. So that's what I'm going here. I think it's going to wrap it up here for us as well. We're like almost, I think we're close to an hour on the dot, but hey, you know, that does it for me and Eli here with the State News Sports Roundtable, just kind of a college football roundup of the season as we are done covering the season. Eli will be covering women's basketball next semester. Um, I'll be moving over to the sports editor position. So um Eli, it was a lot of fun covering football this season. You know, I'm glad we got the chance to do it. Um, weird season or crazy year, empty stands all the time. Super weird season. Um, but you can follow the rest of our sports coverage at statenews.com and at the snooze on Twitter. And yeah, so that does it for me and Eli here at the State News Sports Roundtable. We'll talk to you next time.